you're on the show today. A little paperwork to get out of the way first. Go to patreon.com slash wordtetris. Get the full episode for just a dollar. Dollar an episode. Get the get the get the glory that is Judy McCreary in full. Uh, plus, if, and if you pay three dollars an episode, you will actually get this episode plus a bonus episode that we're going to record after this. It's going to be a good time. Uh, you can find me on twittercom slash Meryl Barr. Uh, Judy McCreary, you have a Twitter? Anything you want to plug? I don't. Okay. <laughs> I'm a writer. I don't plug much of anything. <laughs> so, shows about rewriting, and I want to start here because. I know of you mostly from listening to the McBankcourt show, which is why I'm wearing his shirt today. And in that episode, you talked about how when you were on SVU with him, you ended up always being the writer who had to scale back her episodes. Yeah. Because you were very good at coming in under budget when everyone else decided to put a monkey in a basketball and go over budget, Mick. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Mick. Budget whore. So, walk me through writing, rewriting for budget, because the one thing I'm told as a young writer is write it however the hell you want in the beginning, because it's the only time you're going to get to do that. And then after that, you are going to have to, you know, then you have to start facing realities of production. So, I'm curious if you're the one who was always called upon to be. Hey, you write the cheaper episodes. Were you ever having to rewrite for budget, or were you just starting it? Were you always thinking about budget from the very beginning when you write a script? Eventually, after you spend enough time doing this, you're well aware of how much things cost. You're not necessarily consciously thinking about budget when you're writing. You're trying to tell the best story you possibly can. But I can give you a perfect example of an episode where I wanted to see the whole thing, but because of budget, which was I was setting a woman on fire. Mm-hmm. So that was a major... That's a stunt guy. Uh, that's the firefighters on right. set. That's the... It, like, it's so many extra costs to set someone on fire. Exactly. So because the show was running over budget, the series was running over budget at the time, I had to scale it back. But how I made it actually hit home because they thought about it in terms of we almost become inured to what we see now we're desensitized it's just like oh he set her on fire like it's not a big deal what i did to make it hit home was we just saw the aftermath of the fire of her in the burn unit so it did require some special effects with makeup and with special effects Right. So it was more cost effective. But how I really sold it was they went into that unit as they were debriding her flesh. So you saw them with scrub brushes and our two detectives were gowned up. They were still asking her questions. And because the hate was in her so much, she still lied, even though she was in that much pain and she had been set on fire squirted with gasoline and set on fire by her husband. It is the moment, what sells it is the moment when they leave and they're in the hallway. The debridement hadn't started yet. They just laid out the brushes and everything. So when they started her blood curdling scream is what really sold it. So what was I missing by not showing her now was, on fire? Was that stuff in the burn unit, was that in the original script or you put that in when you realized you couldn't have 
be setting her on fire? Um, I'm trying to remember. I do think that I had both, but I realized the impact after I was told I couldn't have it and mm. I removed the scene, I realized that the emotional impact was stronger without right. actually seeing it happen. Would you say that that's a perfect example of coming in late, getting out early? Because that's how I feel like, because you're, you're coming in so late that you're coming in after the act has occurred. Right. But it sounds that much, it seems that much more powerful because you came in so much, that much later. Well, that was actually a happy accident. Mm -hmm. But the realization of it, I mean, it is, it does, it does live up to the rule of coming in late and getting out early. But for the most part, you come in late and get out early to help your dramatic arc of whatever it is that you're presenting in a scene. So it's more about where do you start the scene to get the most bang for your buck with regard to story, not budget. And how do you get out early enough to make the audience still be all in or leaning in because they want more? Now, the coming to that realization of, in this case, losing, setting the uh, character on fire, but that was an accident, you said. How do you reach that point intentionally? Because... I think, you know, the hardest thing for any writer to do is throw away the good babies with the bathwater. But sometimes you have to for the sake of pacing or exposition. How do you know when you need to remove something as good as you? I'm sure you, whatever you wrote was like, this is awesome. We're setting her on fire. I'm so excited about it. I can't wait to shoot it. And then you got to lose it. How do you come to that place naturally? when you're in a script and before a producer says, we just can't shoot it because we don't have the money and we need you to scale it back. I don't know that you ever really get there in terms of writing something that's going to be shot. It's like everything is fluid, including your script, mm -hmm. including your story. You can finish a story and think you're finished, but you're never finished because you're also rewriting in post. It's like you have beer goggles while you're shooting. You think you got it. You think you were walking a straight line. You think the moments are there that you need to tell your story. And then when you have a little distance, the beer goggles come off and you are in post and you're watching it and you were like, I'm sure there's a better take. And when the editor goes looking, it isn't there. It's almost like you invented it in your head. Like mm -hmm. you weren't watching that very poor monitor that only gave you a certain view. Even when you're not looking at the monitor and you're watching the scene play out in real time in front of you, there are things that you miss. So by the time you get in post, you're rewriting in post as well. I don't know that you ever reach a moment where you're so confident in your abilities that you're able to do exactly what you're talking about, you have to see it in your head. And for me, I only get certain visuals. I don't get the whole picture of the show from start to finish. Something I realized what I wanted the show to be was when I was on my last episode, uh, me and John Rogers were talking and we realized 
the thing that I think a lot of writers lose themselves in is trying to make the draft perfect mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to get to a point where they are happy with what exists on the page. So how do you find happiness in your rewriting? How do you, how do you, what does it take for you to get to a place of, I am happy with this, even if it's not perfect, I'm happy with it, and we can move on to the next phase of, of this thing's existence? I, do, I don't. <laughs> That's never happened. You've never achieved happiness with a script? Here's the truth. Mm-hmm. There is a certain moment of happiness when I finish a draft. And it is the moment when I write Fade Out the End. And before I turn it over to the showrunner producers and they turn it into a roll of toilet paper. (laughs) That is my window of happiness. So you, when you're back going back into the rewriting, it sounds like it's a painful process for you. It's do pain. I don't know that it's not painful for everyone. Mm-hmm. It is one of those things where you have to face facts. Either that you failed or production failed to achieve a certain degree of tension, of drama that you saw in your head that but, wasn't real. Right, but that's the shooting. That's the shooting of it. I'm more curious about when it's still in paper form before we go to camera. Well, don't forget that regardless of the fact that your name is on something, it becomes, once it leaves you, it becomes a collaborative thing because everyone has notes. Mm -hmm. Hence the toilet paper analogy. Mm -hmm. Um, Your only time that you can be happy with it is fade out the end. And before you give it to someone else. Therein lies your satisfaction and your happiness because once the process starts to happen with notes, notes from your peers, notes from the showrunner, absolutely, notes from the studio, mm-hmm. notes from the network, mm-hmm. notes from production, mm-hmm. notes from the actors, those are always special. <laughs> notes from the actors. What's an actor's note like? Is there any value in... Or wouldn't it be better if I said, I don't like this line. (laughs) Now, this is interesting because we didn't get a chance to talk about notes in the last episode. I mean, I can speak from experience that, oh, notes suck. Oh, do notes suck. But you do see the value in good notes. And I feel that over time you do start to develop an eye for what is a valuable good note and what is a oh, you're just trying to get your opinion heard. There was this one in my last sample where I had a truck exploding, right? Or an SUV exploding. And the person reading it who has the skill set of a director wasn't going to shoot it, but just had that skill set said, I get what you're going for, but everyone blows up the SUV. Is there another way to achieve this moment with something more unique them blowing up the SUV. And it went through different iterations and we figured out another way to achieve the same goal with doing something a little less common than giant fireball characters, you know, jumping away. You know, that's a good no. Is there any value in me saying X 
maybe not a good note because if I didn't think there was value in it, I wouldn't have put it in the script. I assume would be the correct answer, though you probably can't say that to the person that gives you the note. I would assume. I don't know. To you, what's a good note? Um, dumb notes are good. Really? They are because they force you out of your comfort zone. First, you're angry <laughs> and you vent. <laughs> and then you're like, this is a completely useless note. But you actually, unbeknownst to you, take in the dumber notes and you look at your scene and it makes you think about a better way to do something mm -hmm. just because of a dumb note. Mm -hmm. I think a dumb note, this is what encapsulates a dumb note for me. Can the characters be smarter? <laughs> what, is that? It's very, what does that mean? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a broad, that's too broad a note. Like it's, it's, it's a very broad note, but if you take it in, which you can't help but do, because you're taking everything in. Mm -hmm. Think of it from the terms of what we do as a writer. We're creating a world. So we create a world. And even if the world is established, we're taking the characters in a new world. Because the challenge in front of them is something that they haven't seen before or done before. So we're still creating a new world. Right? With an episode. With a challenge. With walls to climb. With you know, fighting with each other, it doesn't even matter. The point becomes, because you're creating this world, you're paying attention to everything. The setting, their attitudes in that moment, in, within that scene. You're paying attention to all these plates in the air with balls going back and forth that you can't help but take in the dumb notes because you're taking in everything. And while you're taking it in and subconsciously saying to yourself, well, that's going in the trash and I'm not doing it, you're actually looking at your scene to see if there is a moment in time where either you can remove dialogue to make it, it becomes tighter. And just by removing dialogue, just by re removing a couplet with the silence, the scene suddenly breathes, mm -hmm. and then the person who gave the note says, see, they seem really smart. Do you have, I have this problem. Do you have this problem where you overwrite? Because I over, I, I've, I just, I've discovered that I have a tendency to overwrite a scene. Some, like the biggest, most common, not biggest, most common note I get is, you already nailed it. You nailed it five lines ago. You didn't need to, all this other stuff is junk. Like, do you, do, do you, do you get that note a lot? Because I don't know, I, it's hard to deal with that sometimes for me. I don't, because I self-edit. Mm -hmm. I don't get the note of it's now overwritten because I prefer, and usually it's with dialogue. Mm -hmm. Nobody says you're overwritten because you've described something and you've taken a paragraph or half a page to describe it. Even if you break it up, it's stage direction. What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. But with dialogue... I always approach it in the way of people who are conversational. They don't say as much, depending upon who they're with. So when we're manufacturing moments to feel organic, I always pull lines out. 
You know, my problem has been someone's emotion will be in there already in the action, mm. but then I'll give them dialogue to express that emotion. And then the person reading it goes, why are they speaking? They don't need to speak right now. You like what you're trying to achieve was already achieved in this look or this, and you know, in this moment of beat of silence, like it's all already there. Yeah. Well, that's not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. I think some people just start to gouge out at a script without looking at what that particular scene is supposed to accomplish. If somebody, like if you have two people in a scene and one of them is upset, they're more likely to babble than be quiet. Mm -hmm. Somebody who is usually stoic it becomes a different sort of scene if they're suddenly babbling. Then you sit up and take notice to a person who rarely speaks having diarrhea at the mouth. Mm -hmm. So you can't, you can't just take a rule and say, you know, mm. this is attached to everything else because right. sometimes there's a necessity. Right. And you have to be careful because mm. a lot of people with their well-intentioned notes, have ruined great scripts. Mm -hmm. When you're going through your script after that first draft and you're self-editing, what are you looking for? Because for me, the way I approach writing is I have to believe from the moment I write Act 1, Fade In, that it's awesome. And then I break those walls down after the draft is done. Because it's the only way I'm able to get through 60 pages. Because my head goes, why the hell are you writing something you don't think is awesome? What's the like? I don't I don't subscribe to that philosophy of write the write the shit version, and then make it good. Mm, I yeah, to, yeah, I don't either. Yeah, it's like I, I don't know. I can't. I don't. If I believe it's shit, why would I bother? I can't. <laughs> I can't do vomit drafts. Right. It's it's really hard. I never met. I haven't yet to meet someone that also has this philosophy of. Why would I want to write the vomit draft? Why would I want to put, you know, hands to keyboard in that moment? I'd rather go back to the outline and make it a not vomit draft. Well, for some people, that's their process. Mm -hmm. And if your process is to just dump it on a page and then spend all the time rewriting, I'd rather be thoughtful and mindful of what each character's function is and what they're saying and how they're feeling in that moment. And what their point needs to be. It takes me longer. I'll take the full 10 days. If I end 10 days. If you're only giving me four, it's going to take me a lot longer and I'm going to have sleepless nights. Mm -hmm. But I'd rather take the time to do it right. Which is why, for the most part, production would say, we'd rather have your outlines to prep from if we don't have a script. Because everything is there mm -hmm. in the outline. Mm -hmm. And they'd rather have my first draft scripts because they know it's not going to change. Mm -hmm. If you do, it's not going to so change very much. So you weren't rewritten much. much when you were on your shows. No. You don't get rewritten much by the showrunner. Well, on SVU, mm -hmm. it was me. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes for... The scripts we gave out to, you know, outsiders, I'd have to rewrite those. Right. Um, but but no. you, well, your scripts were, were very well. To hear the rest of this episode, head on over to patreon.com slash word tetris.